The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, and disclosures for all speakers, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. It was like, uh, you know, the main difference that was initially attributed to, to race was, was pretty much explained by, by the genotype in this particular case. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Race, Genotype, and Azathioprine Discontinuation, a Cohort Study. Our guests are Cecilia Chung, who's an associate professor of medicine in the divisions of rheumatology and clinical pharmacology, Her research focuses on understanding the variability in drug response using big data. Also, Dr. Jonathan Mosley, who's an assistant professor of medicine, his current work focuses on using bioinformatic approaches to identify novel genotype-phenotype associations. I hope you will learn a great deal about benign ethnic neutropenia from the discussion uh, that we had. Thank you all so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. When I read your article, it reminded me of something that I learned back in the 1970s. There was a study that showed that patients of African descent were less likely to have appropriate appendectomies. And back in those days, this is before CT scans, uh, there were three criteria for doing an appendectomy. You had to have at least two of them, and that was a fever an elevated white count over 10,000, and classic pain. And that article said that more people of African descent did not make the white count thing and and that perhaps there was something going on. We now know that there's a genetic variant, not just in people of African descent, but also Middle Eastern descent. Could you tell us a little bit about that genetic variant and why it's so important? Yes, so this variant... You know, your observation um, is is, is very poignant, and it has been observed that that African-Americans do have this lower white cell count and neutrophil count. And so they did a large genome-wide association study where they looked for variants within African-Americans to identify perhaps genetic causes for this. And what they found is, is a very large effect variant indeed. It's a variant that sits near the promoter of a gene, chemokine receptor called ACKR1. And importantly, if individuals carry two copies of this variant, they have a markedly lower white blood cell count. In fact, their neutrophil count will be over 1,500 cells per microliter lower. And so as you telegraph, this variant Having two copies of this variant is very common in African populations, up to 90% of individuals in sub-Saharan Africa. But then within African ancestry populations, like African-Americans in this country, it, it's having two copies is, it has a prevalence of about 60 to 65%. 
And epidemiologically, when I was reading about it, it wasn't just a variant found in Africa, but also parts of the Middle East. Is that correct? Yeah. And so, and it creates a a blood type or, or uh, they call it the duffinol red blood cell type that sometimes we test for in, in pathology before transfusions. And so in this blood type can be found in African ancestry and Middle Eastern ancestry populations. When I was reading about this, it mentioned that there's sort of an opposite variant in Northern Europeans. And so the normal neutrophil count that we think about was was based upon data from mostly Northern Europeans. So perhaps this leads to a bias in what should be an elevated white count or a low white count. Yeah, the, yeah, that's correct. You, you, you know, the, the your, your frame of reference is to, of, as to what is the normal allele or the abnormal allele really depends on who you're defining as your reference population or who gets to name the allele. But yes, this, is, this allele is very uncommon in European ancestry populations. And frequently, which can be the case in this country, is individuals who are used to define the reference ranges for things like white blood cells would tend to represent the population distribution, but be heavily represented in Caucasians who do not carry this variant. And so really there's the distribution is shifted, uh, which seem to be shifted in a higher direction for individuals who carry that variant. So this leads into the beautiful study uh, that y'all did. Could you explain the rationale for putting together this study? And then we'll go through methods and results and then try to speculate what this means going down the road for a variety of things. Rationale of the study started as, as an observation. I mean, our group is interested in uh, determining the, the variability in drug response and how genetics and non-genetic factors uh, actually can help us predict this variability. So um, my group focuses on immunosuppression and, and uh, because of that, I mean, we were studying azathioprine. An initial observation was that patients who were taking azathioprine were discontinuing the drug over time due to different reasons, but that there appeared to be some difference that we initially attributed to race. So the initial observation was that patients who were uh, identified by the electronic health records as, as uh, being black patients were discontinuing the drug at higher rates than patients who uh, were EHR identified as white patients. So going deeper into this initial observation, what is striking was that this difference was driven by hematologic reasons. So there were no differences for non-hematologic reasons of discontinuation. And it was around that time when actually Jonathan reported, uh, you know, some interesting uh, findings related to this ACR1 genotype in, in regards of the patients who uh, had this genotype were uh, having unnecessary bone marrow biopsies. So, so we we put those two pieces together and 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 talked to Jonathan, and we decided to you know join efforts to try to see how much of this difference that we initially were attributing to EHR reported race were indeed explained by the genotype. And Boy, I love the, I love the fact that y'all 
uh, decided to, to do this study, what are the methods you use to try to separate the social construct of race, mm-hmm. which is what the EHR reports from the genetic problem? Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about this study is this is this is not about race. This is about whether or not you have this genetic variant. Correct. Yes. And that's that's actually quite challenging. Right. But we started with uh, some principles of uh, pharmacopidemiology. So we um, assemble a retrospective cohort using the electronic health records at, at Vanderbilt that are linked to uh, Biobank with genetic information. All this information is de-identified. But we are able to go into the de-identified, let's say, copies of the records and actually review and adjudicate events. And, and then for, for us, it was it was a matter of finding that pretty much those patients who were um, EHR identified as having uh, or being a, of, of black race, but who did not have this CC genotype had actually very similar rates of discontinuation to patients who were EHR identified as white patients. So to us, it was like, uh, you know, the main difference that was initially attributed to to race was was pretty much explained by by the genotype in this particular case. If I remember right, you, you had some patients who were identified as white, and when you went back and found out that uh, I think it was four out of five of them had uh, some uh, African ancestry where they would have picked up that genetic variant. Did you have any Middle Eastern patients in that data set that had the variant? So for this particular study, we restricted it to um, EHR identified either white or, or black. Okay. I think you did something with uh, sickle trait also as a control genetic marker. Yes. We look at the RS332, which is the variant that explains uh, sickle cell, and, and we did not find an association with it. So just to make it more more specific, that, that gave us uh, uh, the, the rationale to say that it was, it was more specific to this ACA1 CC genotype. To summarize, azathioprine, one of the one of the signals that you use to stop azathioprine is a low neutrophil count. Correct. Yes. And patients who had this genetic variant were much more likely to have to discontinue azathioprine. We don't know whether it's dangerous in those people. Is anybody trying to study what benign ethnic neutropenia really means is is it is it dangerous to have this or is this just a number and we get obsessed with the number well if you're living in sub-saharan africa it is certainly far safer to have it and and, you know that variant is under strong selection pressure because it protects you from malaria and certainly in that context or in that environment you're you want to keep it but they've done some studies in, in large data sets like the UK Biobank seeing if this variant associates with higher rates of infection and have not seen a signal that that is true. But, but you, you know, it, in the context of knocking down your white cell counts with the immunosuppressants, you, you know, that, that that remains to be seen as to whether that is a risky challenge or, or, or challenge that increases risk. One thing that we saw was that it was not just the the attribution of toxicity when we really don't know if it's really a toxicity, right? But it was also um, the fact that these patients, even if they remain on azathioprine, 
were getting lower doses. So, so, so there are concerns of not only potentially discontinuing this drug without having to, but also in terms of the therapeutic doses that may not be reached because we are using kind of just a single standard in terms of how we how we manage drugs. So I think there are multiple questions that come come after these findings, and those are are the ones that we are planning to try to answer in the next few years in terms of what happens with other immunosuppressants among patients with rheumatic diseases, but also in terms of what happens in patients who receive uh, immunosuppressants because they have they underwent an organ transplant, or also you know what happens in patients uh, with cancer. This is fascinating. And I think it's something that, that we all do as physicians is we get obsessed with a number sometimes and not understand the meaning behind the number. I hope this doesn't sound too bold, but we've arbitrarily picked a number of neutrophils that if it gets below that, it scares us. But we don't know whether it's dangerous in a subset of people who uh, have this genetic variant. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that this is important in oncology, uh, important in uh, rheumatology. It's important in transplant. Pulmonologists give, give these medications. Nephrologists give these medications. So trying to figure this out is extremely important to make sure that the people who have this variant get the best possible treatment. But we want to make sure that they're not put at risk for getting that that treatment, and so this is this is a huge huge question, but I think what you've done is is you've as I understand what you what you've done and said so far tonight is that this is a question we really need the answer for because it may be harming a subset of our patients. Yes, and it could be harming in regards of you know stopping the drug too early inappropriately or using a lower dose than, you know, otherwise given. But it could also harm patients if, you know, this double hit, meaning you have the variant, but in the setting of immunosuppression, you know, we are really putting these patients uh, uh, at an increased risk of infections. So, so I think we have to look at things from the perspective of effectiveness, but also on the perspective of safety. So we have a lot of outpatient doctors and a lot of uh, inpatient doctors who listen to this podcast. What do you really want them to know about benign ethnic neutropenia? Should we be looking for it? Should we, should be, when should we be doing a genetic test for it? And uh, how are we going to uh, use this in our practice? You, you know, one point I, I would take, uh, Cecilia, has mentioned, you know, this variant is confounded with this social construct race, but this variant is the biology. And, and so it's important to know that a subset of individuals of, of either African ancestry or Middle Eastern ancestry are predisposed to lower white cell counts, not all individuals. And so the only way you can know that is by knowing their genotype. And so it is not the standard now to genotype individuals. But we're we're trying to lay the the groundwork and the foundations to say, you know, if you are concerned about someone's white cell count, you should know their genotype to know whether that's really out of their range or not, and you know whether this is 
for criteria for surgery, criteria for clinical trials, criteria for medication stopping or, or cessation, if white blood cells are a criteria, knowing the genotype is the only way that you can systematically ensure that you're fairly kind of making decisions based on an individual's predisposition. Do you think we'll be able to do that for a reasonable cost in the future? I mean, we all see patients who come back with a white count of 3,000 and we won. And uh, what I've been teaching people is when a patient comes in and has a white count of 8,000, but I suspect an infection, can we look back in the old chart and see that normally they run around 3,000? But I, boy, would I love to know that, that they actually have this genetic variant. And so 8,000 might be extraordinarily high for them. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you know, what can happen to individuals is, you know, often the standard of care will be, well, let's just repeat this every six months or every year. And, you know, those lab tests add up over time. And while, you know, genotyping a single variant is now relatively cheap these days, especially if we start, if we really decided to do it, uh, like implement it um, uh, and, and develop the assay for it. So so there there is a lot of cost that we don't, I think, attribute to these individuals. And also, you know, just have observed, these individuals are, are told they have an abnormal white cell count, and that carries a lot of burden. And so, you know, we, we saw that some individuals were very motivated to get a bone marrow biopsy because they've been told, you know, I'm abnormal, I need to know that, you know, I don't have a disease. And so there's a lot of costs that we could be counted. The, the other thing is that although this was done in the setting of research, and, and this variant was directly, uh, you know, type as part of a, a, a platform that includes uh, uh, more than 1 million variants. You know, the cost of these platforms is becoming lower and lower. And, and I think what we all envision is that in, in the near future, this information is going to be ready and, and, and part of the, the electronic health records. And, and I think it's the question is going to be, you know, if we're going to be smart enough to uh, give good use of all this, all this information. Well, I, I love the discussion we've had because I'm obsessed with appropriate interpretation of lab tests. Uh -huh. And what you've done is you've opened up in a very interesting way something that I, I'd heard about, but, but because of the two of you, I understand it much better than I did. And I think it's important for... Uh, our medical students, our interns, residents, and our practicing physicians to know about this, that it's not, a, it's not a racial construct. This is a genetic thing that we need to be aware of and that we may be under-diagnosing infections. So that's what scares me is it scares me on both ends. We might not be able to give the best immunosuppression, but we also may mm -hmm. uh, say, oh, the white count's only 8,000. It doesn't <laughs> exactly. sound right. But if you know that they started out at 2,500, uh, that, yeah. that, that's huge. So uh, this is a really important contribution. I can't thank you all enough for writing the article. Thank you, Dr. Sainter. Thank you. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This very interesting uh, study opens up knowledge about the genetic variant of benign ethnic neutropenia. It exists probably because it protects against malaria and is very prevalent in sub-Saharan Africa. This helps us understand that the low white count and the increased 
discontinuation of azathioprine is not because of race, but rather because of a genetic variant. Because controlling for that genetic variant, there's no difference in race. It would be wonderful if we knew exactly what the risk is of benign ethnic neutropenia. Does it put patients at risk for infection? We do not have that information. This article has taught me to think more deeply about neutropenia, especially in people who have some African ancestry. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, and disclosures for all speakers, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. 